All right, Esther chapter 4, we'll pick back up where we left off last week, and I'll just do long story short tonight, okay? Long story short, in the last chapter, the king has given his authority, really he handed his authority over to Haman to do as he saw fit, and Haman decides to issue a decree to eradicate all the Jews. There's going to be 11 months from when the decree was issued to when the decree would be carried out. Chapter 4 opens with Mordecai's reaction to the decree. He rents his clothes, he puts on sackcloth with ashes, he goes out into the middle of the city, he cries aloud, the very bitter cry, and he must have known he was the reason for this decree, wouldn't you think? As he is crying out, he makes his way to the king's gate, but he could go no further. And the king didn't want you entering in in sackcloth, acting the way he was. And all of the province, the Bible says, as the letter went out, all the Jews are in great mourning, weeping and wailing and fasting. I would think we can assume praying was involved, even though it doesn't say that. But I've, I, I wonder sometimes, but I, I, I think it's assumed that it was. Um, so... Esther finds out what's going on. She sends Hatok out to find out um, for him to bring back word to her. And she had sent clothes out to him because if he would change, clean himself up, he could probably go on in and talk about some things. And he refuses the clothes. He refuses to be comforted. And we talked, was it last week, about how when uh, he's exceedingly grieved, she's exceedingly grieved. And, and how we ought to bear one another's burdens, things of that nature. Um, but, but he tells her that she needs to go before the king, and she needs to make a petition before him and, and ask for him to spare all the Jews. She essentially tells Mordecai, everybody in the empire knows, and I know you know, that if I go before the king unbidden, he has a right to kill me. And I haven't seen him in 30 days. So it's not looking too good there, Mordecai. But... Um, he tells her that's what she ought to do. So she thinks she's fallen out of favor with the king. And we've made a lot of applications along the way. I'm just giving you kind of the facts before we get started. And a lot of comparisons between the worldly kingdom and Christ's kingdom. But that being said, it brings us to where we left off. And I want you to look at verse 12. It, it relays what Esther said, and then we'll read through verse 14. And, and they told Mordecai Esther's words. And then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. Sorry, we'll see Mordecai's words. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time... Then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? So Mordecai has already charged Esther, going unto the king, make supplication for your people. But she essentially says, I can't just go in. He doesn't like me right now. Amen. This is a pretty serious marriage issue going on. He doesn't like me right now. It's been 30 days since I've seen him, talked with him, all the rest. And if he doesn't hold out the golden scepter, I'm toast. 
Mordecai pretty much says, hey, girl, newsflash, you're dead already. Don't think because you're the queen dwelling in the king's house that you're going to escape more than all the rest of the Jews. Don't think the crown is going to save your head. He goes on to tell her, you and your father's house will also be destroyed. Now her father had already died. She was an orphan taken in by her uncle Mordecai. And I believe he's just saying, look, the rest of your family, they're going to die. Which Mordecai was a part of. So if you don't do this, I'm going to die. Now, this is interesting because we haven't been told that she has revealed her identity yet. Obviously, the ones relaying the message know. They're putting it together now. Um, And maybe he believes one of them will mention it. Maybe that's why he says, don't think you're going to escape. You're going to die too. Um, I just find it interesting he's saying this if it hasn't been revealed that she's a Jew yet. Maybe he thinks that those who know him personally and his connection to Esther, maybe when, these, when this starts to go down, you know, the other Jews will be like, hey, hold on just a minute. You know the queen, she's a Jew too. I mean, I could see something like that happening. I don't know what he's thinking here. Commentator Adam Clark is of the opinion that Haman knew she was a Jew. I've, I've maintained that he, that he didn't. That would be, to me, suicide to issue a decree against the queen's wife, which we will see is what happens. But he's of the opinion, he says, this confirms the suspicion that Haman knew something of the relationship between Mordecai and Esther. I I don't think that's true because Haman didn't even know Mordecai was a Jew until he refused to bow. And so it it took to that point for him to go, okay, now I want to kill all the Jews. So I don't think he he has that idea, but your guess is as good as mine. And, And Mordecai tells Esther, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. So I've mentioned several times that, you know, God's not mentioned anywhere in this account. And if there's ever a place that it comes close, it's right here. This is the closest, I I think, if I remember correctly through the rest of the chapters, that that God is mentioned here as, as intervening. And so he says that there's going to be deliverance from somewhere. Perhaps we are meant to connect how Mordecai has humbled himself. He has, remember, he was keeping it all a secret until he refused to reverence Haman. And and after this decree comes out, he's humbled himself. He's been in sackcloth and ashes. We can assume that he he probably was, was praying. And I don't know if we're meant to connect that now that he has maybe drawn nearer to God, that maybe now he has this, this newfound confidence that you know, deliverance will come. Uh, I, I don't really know, but I know this. This is how our prayer life tends to be. Only in time of crisis do we cry out to God. Pastor DeGarmo talked about that in Sunday school. And you can listen to that o- online if you want. It's not live stream, but you can go to our website or podcast. And, and he was talking about how we tend to do that. And so I think many times we, we don't, just have a regular prayer life with God. But just as soon as we need Him for something, He's our lucky rabbit's foot, right? And then we go to God in prayer, and boy, we really ask the Lord, you know, Lord, my promotion's test tomorrow. I, mean, I remember doing that when I was... Anyway, you don't want to hear my stories tonight. So, but that's what we tend to do. And, and 
we've got to be careful about that. And I think sometimes maybe that's why we have crisis in our life. I think God sometimes like, I haven't heard from you in a while. What's up? Yeah, just something to think about. And so God will send troubles our way to cause us to draw near to Him. Maybe Mordecai has recalled to mind some of the passages that are in the Scriptures he would have had access to. Um, remember that during the Babylonian destruction and captivity, the Word of God was not destroyed. It was preserved because we see Daniel at the end of the captivity reading from the book of Jeremiah, and he was, that's how he knew the 70 years was, was coming up. And so they, they still had the Word of God in some capacity. And remember, in Deuteronomy 32, Moses gives this song. And I don't know, maybe, maybe some of this was in his mind. But Moses is under the inspiration of God over there. And it, and it speaks of God finding Israel in a desert land and in a waste, howling wilderness. And how He led them about. He instructed them. He kept them as the apple of His eye. He bore them on eagle's wings. He led them out of Egypt. He gave them His law. He gave them manna from heaven, water from the rock. He brought them into the promised land. He made them to ride upon the high places of the earth, the Bible says, and to eat the increase of the fields. But... But Jeshuron waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. God was so good to them, and yet they still rejected and pushed against him and rebelled against him. The Bible says they provoked God to jealousy. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful and hast forgotten God that formed thee. Their abominations provoke God to anger. And when the Lord saw it, the Bible says He abhorred them. Deuteronomy 32.20 And He said, I will hide my face from them. Remember when we started this book, I referenced that verse. Remember all those months ago. Um, I, I referenced that, that verse because of God being, quote, hidden in the book of Esther, God said, I will hide my face from them. But that verse goes on to say, I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very froward generation, children in whom is no faith. God, who has now been moved to jealousy, provoked to anger, He said a fire was kindled. Stay with me, I'm going somewhere. He said a fire was kindled in His anger, and it would burn to the lowest hell. He said He would heap mischiefs upon them. He would spend His arrows upon them. And listen to this passage. Deuteronomy 32, verses 26 and 27. I said, speaking of God, I said I would scatter them into corners. I would make the remembrance of them to cease from among men. Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy lest the adversaries should behave themselves strangely, and lest they should say, Our high hand, our hand is high, and the Lord hath not done all this. God, when He says fearing the wrath, He's not fearful of an enemy, right? He's not fearful of anything. But God was saying this, 
I will not allow my glory to be given to another. He's saying my concern is others are going to get the credit for what I've done. And so he didn't want the enemy thinking that Jehovah was just another God amongst all the gods. He didn't want the enemy saying, see, God didn't really do all those great things or else He would have protected you now. And God said, I don't want that to happen. God says, if anybody's going to get the credit for bringing them down, it's going to be me. It's not going to be the enemy. They're not going to be able to say their hand is high. God said, I would have made the remembrance of them to cease among men. Then why did He keep them around? Why can Mordecai stand here and, and, and tell Hatok to go tell Esther, look, if you don't do anything, God's going to bring deliverance from somewhere else. Why is God being so kind to a people that don't deserve it? Isaiah 48, 11, it says, For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. 1 Samuel 12, 22, For the Lord will not forsake His people. Why? For His great name's sake. Psalm 106, 8, Nevertheless, He saved them for His name's sake, that He might make His mighty power to be known. What was the mighty power that had to be made known? It was the Messiah who was promised to Abraham and that He would come through Judah of the line of David. Why was God going to send enlargement and deliverance to a people who said, we're not going back to the land, we're going to stay in exile here in Persia? It wasn't because they deserved it. Amen. Mordecai is confident God's bringing deliverance one way or the other. There are those who will place more emphasis here on Israel as a people group than they do on God's requirements. It's really gotten to the point where people are practically saying Israel can do whatever they want and God's going to bless them. And God's going to deliver them. No matter what. But I want to just suggest to you tonight, don't make this passage about the enlargement all about Israel. Make it all about God. Don't forget, they're in this place now because God brought judgment upon them. He's already scattered the house of Israel. They're done. They never returned. But He kept Judah intact for a very specific purpose. The line of the tribe of Judah had to come. And so we need to give credit to where credit's due. It's because God is good and merciful. They didn't even want to return to the land that God gave them. God already said He would have made their remembrance to cease from among men. But they're going to be delivered for one primary reason. And it's not because they're so special, but it's because God will not and cannot lie. It's because God is special. The moment we start thinking we're something, uh, we're in trouble. God in His mercy is bringing deliverance even to those who live outside of God's will. How many times have you seen it in, in just in our lifetime? We watch people who are out of God's will and yet God is very merciful to them. I can raise my hand to that. 
God made a promise that the Deliverer was on the way. God keeps His promises. God's not going to allow His name to be polluted. And if He said the promised seed would arrive through Judah, then He must preserve Judah here. Because God is good. Mordecai says enlargement and deliverance will come. To bring enlargement means that they would be given space from their enemies. If you drill down one more Hebrew word, it literally means that they would be able to breathe freely. This oppression would be removed. Uh, To bring deliverance, obviously, is to rescue them. Mordecai says it will come from somewhere. Now, I don't suppose Mordecai had any idea where it was going to come from. Where else really could they turn but God? I don't really know what he had in mind. Might be a good question if you make it to heaven before me. But he knows that deliverance will arise from somewhere. He evidently has faith that it's going to happen. It is said of Abraham in Romans 4.18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. In verse 20 of that same chapter, it says, He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And so it would seem that Mordecai here is hoping against hope. He's staggering not at the promises of God. In other words, hey, this is in God's hands now. But understand that just because something is in God's hands now, it doesn't mean that we just get to sit back and do nothing. And so Mordecai tells Esther the most famous statement in all of this account, and one of the most famous statements in all the Bible for that matter. But he he says, And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Now before this statement, you and I, we've known God's providence throughout this book because we know what happens in the end. Amen. They don't know any of that. And so you got to try to put yourself in, in their position. And we've seen God's providence playing out leading up to this point. We understand in chapter 1 how Ahasuerus was moved to put away his wife Vashti to make way for Esther to be installed because some, what, nine or something years down the road, this was going to take place. Say, well, that was in the future. God knows the end from the beginning. And He's always ahead of the enemy. We understand in chapter 2 why Esther was shown favor by Haggai, the keeper of the women, and the one that was going to help prepare her to go in before the king. We understand why Mordecai and Esther concealed their ethnicity. We understand why Mordecai was given a position in the gate. We understand that when he foiled the plot to assassinate the king and wasn't rewarded, we understand why. We understand when Haman's decree to eradicate the Jews was was published that it's eventually going to turn against him. We know all of this. We know why it's been put in motion. We know why she was chosen queen. They don't have a clue. Could you imagine living through this event and watching all of this play out without knowing anything of the future. 
I would bet that you probably can. Because I believe many of you have been through circumstances in your life where you didn't have a clue what was going on, how God was working, why God was even doing what He was doing. And you had no choice but just to just kind of see what happens. So they don't have a clue. And my point is, we often don't know how God is working until we can look back over time. And I think it's important we understand this because we're all going to go through deep waters. And we're all going to have those circumstances in our life where we're wondering, God, what are you doing? Why would you allow this decree to be issued? When Joseph was sold to the Midianites by his brothers, and when Joseph was sold, he's back on the auction block again, and he's sold to Potiphar in Egypt. If, you know, the Christian news agency, whatever they're called, showed up and interviewed Joseph up there on the auction block. Joseph, what do you think God's doing in your life right now? Oh, this is nothing. He's just preparing me for the day that I'm going to become, you know, second in command. I just have to go through this right now. Joseph, I noticed that you're back in jail. And and why are you down here? Because I did something good. I obeyed God. So you're in jail. Something bad has happened to you because you've done something good? Yeah. What do you think God's doing in your life, Joseph? This is all part of the... He's just preparing me. I'm excited about this opportunity to be down here for two years. No, listen. Joseph would have been like, I don't know what God's doing. I had this dream when I was 17 that my brothers, my family, they were going to bow before me. Now I'm a slave. I don't know what God's doing. Have you been there? Maybe you don't understand why God's putting you through all that you're going through. If you'll give it time and you'll stay with God, you'll look back through the corridor of time and you'll see God's hand working through every one of those events. Just like we can because we know what happens in the book of Esther. It's only after we can look back we can see how God worked. And after Joseph could look back, I know you remember what he said to his brothers, but let me read it to you. Genesis 50, verses 19 and 20. Fear not, for I am in the place of God. He's asking questions. For am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So before this event unfolds in in the book of Esther, if you were to ask Esther and Mordecai, hey Mordecai, why was your, your daughter, your adopted daughter forced to have relations with this perverted king? Why was she forced out of your home? I, I don't know. I don't know why God would allow this. Or maybe you ask Esther, why do you think you've been forced against your will to live a lifetime behind the palace walls and to share this bed with a pagan king. I don't know. I don't know why God's doing what He's doing to both Esther and Mordecai. Why would God allow this genocidal decree to be issued against you if you're God's people? I don't know. But before all this is over, they're going to be able to look back 
And they're going to be able to see how God's providence has been at work. And so Mordecai gives a message to give to Esther. Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Now, he's not claiming to know the will of God for her life. Who knoweth? But he understands that all that has taken place up to this point didn't just happen by accident. It's not by chance. She didn't accidentally become the queen. God had a purpose. God had been at work arranging circumstances for such a time as this. Boy, we wonder what's going on in our world. I mean, if you keep up with the news, it's pretty depressing, right? Crime rates, inflation, all that junk. I just saw where gas is going to spike again. Hooray! We think, what is God up to? I don't know. But I know this, it's going to end in His glory somehow. And so we may look at things and wonder, what in the world is God up to? You know what God says? I just need you to walk with me today. Sufficient are the evils of today. Don't worry about tomorrow. <laughs> Whoop. And so God's He's arranging everything here on the stage of their life. And over time, even though you don't always understand it beforehand, over time you can look back and you can see how God's been at work through all the ups and downs of your life. And now Mordecai wants Esther to consider God's providence in all of this. He wants her to go before the king even though it may cost her her life. I'll probably say this next week, but man, I, I feel for Esther here. I mean, she's what, 21-ish by this point? Low 20s? She's got the weight of the entire Jewish people upon her with Mordecai. I said, you need to go and do something about this. Anyway, let me stay focused here. He, he wants her to step up and to realize this might be the very reason why she was selected as queen. Proverbs 3.27 tells us, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Galatians 6.10, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And so she now has an opportunity to do good. And, and remember, Mordecai here hasn't sugarcoated anything. Hey, you can sit back and do nothing, but you're going to die. Wow. <laughs> Thanks for pumping me up for this, this moment. He's sure that deliverance will come another way, but he lets her know, if you hold your peace, you're not going to escape. You're going to be destroyed. I don't know if he knew prophetically. I don't know if he just maybe sees this as, you have an opportunity, you've been given this position of power, and you, you, know, you crawfish from that, you back away from that, and then you decide not to do anything. God's not going to just let you be unaccountable for something like that. I don't know what's going through his head here, but Jesus said in Luke 17, Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Mordecai is reminding her that the program of God what God seeks to do in your life, on the world stage, in this church, whatever, what God seeks to do is far greater than the obedience or disobedience of one person. If you don't, God's going to do something. And He's letting her know, God is so much bigger 
than just one person. Just consider the children of Israel. They're being led out of Egypt. They watch Moses as he holds the staff out over the Red Sea and God parts the sea and they come through on dry ground and He leads them for 40 years in the wilderness and they're about to cross over. Man, Moses is instrumental to this group of people. We, we need him to go forward. No, God said, you're not getting in, Moses. But God's purposes were still fulfilled. They still made it to the promised land. Even though he disobeyed. Mordecai lets Esther know how it seems. Surely you're the person God has put in place for such a time as this. Esther, it can't be an accident that you're now the queen. By the way, it's not an accident wherever you're at. Don't think your disobedience is going to keep God from doing His will and keeping His promises to His covenant people. We see this played out throughout the Old Testament. Now, if you'll bear with me, I want to give you one last thought. Esther is now confronted to come clean about who she really is. What she believes and to whom she belongs. Until now, she's lived in between two identities. Is everybody with me? Because we're about to get up in your living room. She has her private life in the shadows, and she has her public life. She has a private life where she knows she's a Jewess, and she's part of the covenant people of God. And she's got her public life where she's the queen over the largest empire in the world. And now... She has to decide whether or not she's over here or over there. Many of us have gone through this at some point in our life, I believe. I could give you my testimony of this, but if you haven't gone through this, you're going to go through it. And some of you may be going through it even now. You know and you believe certain truths in your heart. You know to whom you really belong, but you've been keeping it a secret out there. No one at school knows. No one at work knows. Your neighbors don't know. Perhaps even some of your friends don't know either. But I want you to mark it down. The day will come that something will happen in your life and you will be confronted with whether or not you will admit who you are where you belong, and what you believe. Now, if I've done my math correctly, Esther has gotten away with concealing her identity for nearly six years. She had to spend one year in preparation, if you remember that. And it's now been at least four years and ten months since she's been queen. So for nearly six years, she's not had a reason to come clean. But now she's being confronted by her uncle, and she has to decide if she's going to bring her private life into her public life. It's time to get off the fence. It's time to stop having two identities. How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. So Esther has a decision to make. What about you? Do you have a decision to make? Is anybody here living two different lives?
Is there a private life where you are safe within the walls of this church? But when you go to work tomorrow, will anyone know who you really belong to? Are you concealing your Christian identity? The day's coming. You're going to have to decide what direction you'll take. A life of friendship with the world, which the Bible says is at enmity with God. Or a life of open profession of your Lord and King. Remember when Peter had his moment before the crucifixion and he denied our Lord three times. He went out and he wept bitterly. Boy, he was just disappointed in himself. But God was merciful. And after Christ's resurrection, Peter got that right. And so if you're struggling with it, you just get it right with God. Amen? Jesus said in Mark 8.38, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Matthew 10.32 and 33, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. So what's your decision going to be? We're told to let our light so shine. Hey, listen, don't be ashamed. You're a child of the King. Let's pray.